0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Let me tell you the gross way that I have mismanaged my time. Ghana is playing its third game in the World Cup. The city right now, Accra, is electric. They've put up, what is it called? Not movie screens um, projectors, they put up projection screens all over the city. What is it called? The things that, um, bullhorns, not bullhorn speakers that, that are projecting the play-by-play of the game all over the city. Like it's insane. Every restaurant, bar, lounge, anywhere with space where people gather has a projection screen up or it has the world cup on all the TVs. I literally just left my lash bar and they were watching it in there. So the question you may ask is, why are you, Demetria, not watching the World Cup? Because, friends, I am recording this podcast for you. Y'all know I've been bopping around God's green earth for like the last six weeks. I don't mean just moving to Ghana, but I mean moving around the continent. So I've been going pretty much nonstop since, I want to say like October 10th for like, I did East Africa for three weeks, came home for four days. Then went to Cote d'Ivoire and Senegal, came home for a day, and then hosted a group of travelers for a week. So put that all together, that's seven weeks that I haven't done a beauty day. I did manage between East Africa and Cote d'Ivoire to take my braids out and get them redone because my hair looked fuzzy. I looked unkept. But I've had no lash day. I've had no facial. I've had no wax. I did get my nails done but I looked like I needed a beauty day and today was the only day that I could get all my services done so I went and got my facial this morning and you know how like those old black people moles people of a certain age I don't know if you experience this but I think most of my listeners are around my age you get those teeny tiny moles on your face and they start to add up over time they age you I've had them zapped off before like 2018 but they grow back and they're genetic so thanks parents Both my parents have this issue, but you wouldn't know because they zapped them off too. I started getting them and I was like, oh my God, what's happening to me? And my dad was like, oh yeah, I get those taken care of. Do you? That's not the point. The point is, I went and got it done today. I look worse now than I did when I went. She's like burning moles off of my face. And so every mold that she burned off is now scabbed over right now. So to look at me in this moment, it looks like I have full freckles because instead of tiny moles, I have scabs all over my face. I look a hot mess right now. I couldn't go in public if I wanted to. She was like, oh, yeah, in two days, you'll be fine. And I was like, I mean, I can stay in the house for two days or I could just not give a fuck for two days. But I was like, this should have been something you told me at the beginning of the appointment. It's all good. It had to be done. But she did a really good job. It's just, you know. My face is all scabbed up and and my face is burning like she numbed my face, which last time I got it done. The lady didn't numb my face. She just whatever tool she used, just zapped them, and it was uncomfortable, but it wasn't painful. This one, the numbing didn't take everywhere. And then also as she's doing it, I can see the smoke coming off of the burning flesh of my face and worse. Smell it. It wasn't the most painful. It was just like. Aggravating. Microblading is the most painful thing I've ever had done. I swear every time I do it, I'll never do it again. And yet, in, th- in that three weeks that I'm coming back to America, I am going to my girl in LA to get them redone. It, ha- it must be done. Beauty is pain sometimes. And I'm a woman of a certain age. Then I ain't trying to exactly look it. So, you know. I told you I was going to go see Black Panther in English. I did. It was good just watching the visuals and and reading the story based on the facial expressions and the emotion and the voices. You'd be absolutely amazed how much is conveyed just by visuals. And because I really understood like a good chunk of the story. I didn't get all the details in one liners because I was translating from French to Spanish to English to understand what was going on. But I picked up most of it. Me and Davita went to the movies the other day. He's crashing with me this week. We have the second group of travelers coming next week. But we went to see Black Panther, and Davita has seen it before too. I cried and cried and cried and cried. I knew exactly what was going to happen because I'd seen it before. But somehow watching the movie in English, like it just all went out the window. Everything that I knew was going to happen, like things would happen, like the big events in the movie would happen. And I'd be like, oh my God, like I didn't know it was going to happen. I cried multiple times, but the ending, the ending, you know how sometimes like, you know, a cry is coming. You feel it like welling up in your chest. It wasn't even that like my eyes just started pouring water. I had no other physical reaction, but water just poured from my eyes. Like I was, I was deeply, deeply moved by that final scene. God, I love Chadwick Boseman. I love that man. Like he was family. Oh, the only other person I've cried like that over, and this might sound crazy to some people, but that white man changed my life. Anthony Bourdain. When I read that Anthony Bourdain was dead and from suicide at that, I let out a pure wail and I sobbed. I mean, I heave sobbed like somebody I knew intimately, almost like a lover. And that's not even how I thought of Anthony Bourdain in my head. I wasn't physically riled up by his appearance, but like that man showed me the world and changed the way that I live my life. Broke my heart. And it breaks my heart when I think about it too much. I have tears in my eyes right now. When I think about him not knowing, it's like, my God, you didn't know how much you were loved. I was thinking about Anthony Bourdain earlier today because remember last week we talked about Will Smith and his interview on Trevor Noah. And we talked about his new movie, Emancipation. And there's been lots of chit chat about Emancipation. Um, And rightfully so. Like Apple is doing a big push for it. People are talking about it has Oscar worthy potential whether the Oscars would nominate Will Smith as an actor or a film that he's in for anything is up in the air. I don't know. But Will Smith has another show where he's kind of like Black Anthony Bourdain. It's called Welcome to Earth. And he mentioned it a little bit. Was it on Trevor Noah? I think he mentioned it on Trevor Noah. He talked about he had a Nat Geo show and he said something about going to the South Pole. I think it was on Trevor Noah, but I had to go look it up because I was actually interested because like Will Smith is bopping all over the earth. Like, tell me more. You know, I love a good travel show for what should be obvious reasons. And I went looking for it because I thought it was a new show. Will Smith had a whole like Anthony Bourdain-esque travel show. I have never heard anyone mention this. There's a whole first season, six episodes of a show i've never fucking heard of and will smith goes to the damn serengeti which y'all know i'm obsessed with serengeti or the maasai mara kind of the same difference one's in kenya one's in tanzania but it's the same land essentially y'all know i'm obsessed with the great migration i had no clue i think i've talked on here about my obsession with the great migration i'm obsessed with this the reason i went on safari in kenya in october was trying to catch the last bit of the great migration because i'm obsessed with seeing these animals run through the water. In a perfect world, I'm going back to Kenya in July to see these animals, specifically through this river. Will is guided by elite explorers. One of them is black. I saw him in the trailer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you know about this? I'm on the Nat Geo site right now. I'm a, I'm a guess that there's a bunch of people that didn't know about this the same way I didn't. I swear this wasn't promoted. And it came out before the incident. And it came out before the incident. I, and I follow Will Smith pretty faithfully on social media. I don't know how I missed this. I know about the YouTube show, but I don't know about this on Disney Plus. That's weird. So when I'm done with this, if the game is not still on, I'm going to stay up all night watching Will Smith run around the world. It brings me joy. Y'all know how I feel about stuff like this. You know what else I'm super excited about? Quinta Brunson on Oprah. I heard it aired. I heard it was really good. On the Tuesday episode this week, I spoke about imposter syndrome because I'm reading Michelle Obama's book. And I just finished the book, but it comes up a couple times in her book. I spoke about Michelle Obama dealing with it. I spoke about dealing with it myself. And apparently it came up in the conversation between Oprah and Quinta. I don't know the context, but from what I was told, because people kept writing into me about it. And both of them were like, no, I don't have imposter syndrome. Like, I know I'm meant to do this. Like, I, I know I'm supposed to be here. I'm confident, yeah, mm-hmm. And I was like, what is the secret? Like, how does y'all avoid it? I've really got to find this interview. Even with my Express VPN on, I can't find access to it. If you know of a bootleg link, I'd like to support real TV. Once I got my VPN, I subscribe to all the TV channels. Like, I want to support good TV. Like, as a creator, I want to support other creators but I I can't get access to this interview and I really want to see it. So if anybody has like, you know, a a special link that folks abroad can enjoy Oprah and Quinta, please let me know, please just go on and DM me. It'd be much appreciated, thank you. Also, congratulations to Quinta Brunton in addition to her Emmy, in addition to her sit down with Oprah. She's also on the cover of People Magazine because she's one of People Magazine's People of the Year. Yo, when it rains, it pours. She is having a banner year. I'm so excited for her. Is there other good black news? There is. Well, I mean, in like one fourth black news. Harry and Meghan have a new show coming on Netflix, a documentary. So I saw the trailer. It didn't have a drop date. It's rumored to drop on December 8th. The Netflix trailer just says coming soon. So the trailer, it's, it's not really a lot of details. It's, um, it's only a minute long. The first 30 seconds are a bunch of black and white pictures of Megan and Harry. Not even all behind the scenes. Like some of them are from events that we've seen them at before. There is a bit of video where Harry says, I had to do everything I could to protect my family. And then Megan ends the trailer saying, when the stakes are this high, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? There's also a video of Meghan crying She's wiping her tears and she has her hands covering her face. Um, I get that like so much negative has been said about them and that they want to tell their story on their own terms. I think that's valid because people do talk about them 24-7 and Megan has been dragged in the press. Like there's this narrative that exists that she's this almost like a Jada Pinkett Smith. That she's like controlling Harry and she's masterminding all these bad decisions like to leave the royal family and move to America and she's separating Harry from his family and she's just this horrible shrew bitch cunt woman and Harry has no control and no say so and Meghan just plows over him. I get how you would want to set the record straight about that and who better than you but I also just you know from past experience of being thought of as like a public bitch there's literally nothing you can do to make people who hate you stop. Or people who are dedicated to thinking you're just an evil wench who should have been dead instead of one of your colleagues. Which has been something that's been said to me. I don't know. At one point, it was multiple people multiple times a day. It's like more like once a month at this point. Somebody said it the other day, and I hadn't gotten one of those messages in a while, and it kind of threw me off. Because I was like, still? Still? The show's been on for eight years. Still? still like you could clap back you could tell your part of the story you could live your different life you could pack up your shit and move to africa people will still remember you or perceive you however they choose to there's literally nothing you could do about it so in megan's case like i mean i feel you sis on wanting to defend yourself and speak your piece and you should you should But also, I just hope you know it's not going to change anybody's mind. The people who are dedicated to hating you are just going to continue to do do stuff. They've locked into that narrative, and there's literally nothing you could do. You could die, just like they've been telling you to do, and they'll still have a problem with it. There's a no-win. I say all that if you think I'm not going to be up at whatever time this thing drops. I will set my alarm the same way I used to do to watch Reasonable Doubt. I will set my alarm to watch this documentary the minute it comes out. Harry's book, Spare... I don't know what's in that book, but I'm about to find out the day it drops. That's going to be a worldwide bestseller. Even if people are picking it up to be like, see, I knew he was a mama's boy with no backbone and his wife is a shrew. It don't matter what he says. He could be like, I hit Megan over the head and dragged her by the hair and was like, bitch, we're leaving to go to America. And people would still be like, Megan made him do it. He wanted to go. You know, I know because men don't do shit they don't want to do. He wanted to go. If he didn't want to go, he'd be like, well, you could go. You're going to leave my kids, though. But you could go. He wanted to go. And if he wanted to leave, you know what he would do? Leave. Men do it every day, B. See TJ Holmes. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm kind of sober, by the way. I had tequila earlier today. I bought mango juice. And it just needed a little, you know, a kick. A little fun. It needed some fun. That's not the point. What else do I have on my list? Will Smith. We're not talking about TJ yet. I was going to talk about Michelle Obama on marriage. But I don't want to talk about that. I read her book. What she says in public about marriage and what she says in her book about marriage. She got a lot of brouhaha last, maybe two weeks ago. She did an interview. I can't remember who she was speaking to. And I don't care enough to go actually like watch the clip. But she said something like, there will be years of discomfort in marriage. Which I think is honest. I, I think it's honest. I mean, just from the brief time that I was married. There was a lot of discomfort, and that's why I left. I was like, I'm not doing this shit. Like, life is short. Which also said to me, says to me still, because I don't do discomfort. Like, life happens, and discomfort occurs, but we got to figure out a way to get me about that shit. Like, I don't, and by we, I mean me, myself, and I, us, the three of us, and Jesus, because he's always with us. We got to figure out a way to get out that shit. I'm not sitting around in discomfort for very long. Like that's that's not my life plan. But that also may mean that I'm not built to be married. Because I also do actually agree with Michelle Obama that marriage does require long periods of discomfort. Like you're building a life with someone else who has their own set of everything. Issues, values, goals, whatever. And they might not always be in alignment with yours. It, it will require some compromises and, and some sacrifices. And sometimes you just grit and bear it. I think that that's what marriage is. It's what it takes to build a—I don't know about a good marriage, but I would say a long, a long-standing marriage. Because they're not one and the same. It can be good and long-standing. It can be long-standing and not good. There's a difference. That said, the requirement of discomfort—it doesn't work for me. Which I think means marriage doesn't work for me. But a lot of people had pushed back on what Michelle Obama said, and I think rightfully so. One of the biggest and best, I think, critiques that I heard of her commentary was Michelle Obama is telling people, specifically women, because men are not her core audience. So Michelle, so Michelle Obama is telling women, and she also says in the book that she's prim- primarily has written this book for young women, girls. She wants to steer them around some mistakes, and she wants to give them tools. At an early age, that took her that took her a lifetime to learn. Very noble. But people pointed out that you know Michelle Obama is telling girls and women that there will be years of discomfort in marriage. And then men, when they talk about marriage, especially when they talk about their wives, they talk about they want them, they want their wives to be their peace. And they were like, so men are expecting peace and women are expected to endure. She might have said years, but let's go with long periods just to make sure we're clear. Long periods of discomfort. Initially, I was like, that that doesn't align. That doesn't align. But, But it does. Because most of these men's peace, these husbands, these potential husbands that say, I want my woman, my wife to be my peace. Their peace is coming at her long periods of discomfort. And so when Michelle Obama said that, I think it's worth noting that she never said specifically that it was a woman to bear the years of discomfort she said she just said there will be long periods of discomfort in a marriage and I read Michelle Obama's first book I've now read most I've now read her second book I've watched Michelle Obama's documentaries I'm pretty informed about the big moments in her life at least the ones that she shared publicly especially the ones at least that she shared about her marriage and I just, you know, was running a catalog through my head. And I was thinking about it, even reading this book because she has a whole chapter about Barack. I, I can't remember a time and correct me if I'm wrong, where Michelle Obama has ever talked about Barack sacrificing for her. What was his period of discomfort in the marriage? Like we know about how they got married and then I want to say like either two weeks or two months is bad either way. He was like, yeah, I got to finish this book. I'm a, I'm a, um, he went to Bali, I think for like three months to go finish the book as like a newlywed husband. I was like, Ooh, i read that shit. And I was like that shit. I couldn't be married to him. And people be like, well, he became the president of the United States. I don't give a fuck. You not packing up and leaving my ass for three months right after we got married. Now we get some years in and I just, I need some time away from you and you need some time away from me and you finishing this book is is a way to do that. That's fine. You could go. That's fine. I'm not your jailer. You need to go do shit. Great. I need to go do shit too. Just married. No, but she sucked that up. Him running for office. And I want to say it's when he got in the Senate, he's living in DC five days a week and only there on weekends. And she's essentially operating like a single mom. She's doing everything with the girls and she's really frustrated by that. Well, okay, so that was a period of discomfort. Was he was he in discomfort or was he off doing what the fuck he wanted to do when he decided he was going to run for president? And she ended up having to quit the real high paying job that she really enjoyed to to go work his campaign, which she was never really on board with. I think she was like, all right, I'll go along. Like, I think that was another period of discomfort. I think she did eight years as a period of discomfort because she talks extensively in the book about, you know, the stereotype of the angry black woman that was thrown on her and just how people criticized her nonstop. There's a whole chapter on her talking about like going high. She's very defensive about it. So I was like, really? I thought that went over well. Apparently not. But I was like, you've had lots of periods of discomfort and and, in sacrifice because of Barack's ambitions which you know he did become the first black president of the United States and that's really notable I'm not really sure Michelle Obama's all that impressed by it I don't think she ever really wanted it I think she went along with it a period of discomfort I just need to hear at some point just just give me one example just one example of Barack's discomfort like when was he uncomfortable when when was when was he not at peace when was he not supported When did he take the L or or the sacrifice? When was he in discomfort, uncomfortable in order to be in service to his wife? Who he talks about all the time. Like she's sacrificed so much. She's done so much. I hate when men do that shit too. Because they be talking about, oh, she's such a great woman. And they list off all the ways that she's, you know, put herself on the back burner in order to support his shit. And that's why she's so great. And I'm just like, nigga. I really did just say that about the first black president of the United States, but did I lie? I just want one example of Barack's discomfort. That's all. And I love Michelle Obama. I think you have to say that because people think anytime you criticize something that somebody does or says, you're speaking against her, you don't like her. And it's like, no, I, I like her lots. I think she's great. I think she's forever floated. I just also think that telling women that they should expect to endure long periods of discomfort, which is true, Because I think it is expected of women like you should tell women like a fair or unfair. You should tell women like what their expectation is, but also just to normalize it like it's fine and not put it into the context of marriage in a patriarchy. I hate to go all feminist and shit, but it's true. But marriage in a patriarchy requires that women experience long periods of discomfort in order to serve their husband's peace. Not all marriages, because I know there's people who gonna write in and be like, no, that's not my marriage. I've been married for twenty-five years and my husband sacrifices and he's done discomfort and it's a two-way street. Great. Can your ass write a book and start giving advice on how y'all do that shit? Cause everybody else is trying to figure it the fuck out. I had it down pat in theory. In application, I couldn't figure that shit out. I had to get the fuck out. I couldn't do that. So if you could tell me, I'd be grateful to know. Maybe I'd reconsider marriage. I brought this whole topic up. Because in Michelle Obama's book, she's real clear. She says in one of the chapters, I'll find the page number for you for next episode. But she says very clearly, she was like, you know, people ask me for advice about marriage all the time. And she was like, I'm really not qualified to give it. And she's like, the only thing I could tell you is about me and Barack, which I think is a very fair thing to say. Like, I could tell you based on me and Barack. But she was like, I really don't have advice to give you. I just know my story and what worked for me. And maybe that'll work for you. But She should have stuck by that when they were asking her questions on the interview. Because I was like, now you done stumbled into some bullshit where like, what's the generation before me? Are those the boomers? I guess that's my mom and them. But they're like, yeah, Michelle. And then Gen X and the older millennials are kind of like, well, um, mm, I don't mm, let me squint at it and see the young millennials and Gen Y are like, that's some bullshit. I love them. They think I'm an old now. Which is very ironic to me because I remember thinking of people who are older than me as old who didn't get it. It's just the natural phase of life. Oh, well. Oh, I have a correction from last week. I went on and on and on about Swanky Jerry and Portia's gowns at her wedding. I know Swanky Jerry styles women. I know, he, I know he's an excellent stylist. So I just knew for sure that Swanky Jerry was the stylist for Portia, because he's like an over-the-top type dude. And her outfits were real over-the-top. And I was like, this makes sense. Like, he has the vision. He has the vision. Turns out, he styled Simon. He didn't style Portia. Somebody wrote in to me and was like, no, no, no. I followed the actual stylist. It's this woman named Van Glorious Brides. And I was like, why does that sound so familiar? Then somebody tagged her. And they were like, oh, her name is Selena. And I was like, Selena? Oh, shit. Selena was the stylist for my fucking wedding. (laughs) Yo, years ago, when I was in the throes of the separation, I was all fucked up. And my dad was like, oh, talk to one of my friends. She was probably like 78, 79 at the time. she had been married three times. And he was like, talk to her. She knows a little bit about, you know, marriage and divorce and starting over. And maybe she could give you a little insight. So I had a conversation with her. And so she was like, yeah, it's really hard. And she's like, you know, after each of my divorces, I packed up my shit and I went and moved back in with my mama and got myself together and then went out into the world. So then I was like, well, you know, what happened with the husbands? what's, What's your story? She was like, yeah, with 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 Mark. Was it Mark? okay mark and so she tells me the story about him and then she goes on to talk about like the the second husband let's call him like no tony and so she's like yeah tony and then she talks about like the third husband and she was like yeah that was just a bad decision so the conversation continues and we're talking about we're talking about other like aspects of life you know just because you know she's 80 at the time she was double my age she was like your life really hasn't even gotten started to be honest with you she was like you're not even 50 And I was like, is that when life begins? And she was like, pretty much. What? Not the point. So she's talking, talking, talking. And then she goes, Marvin, not Mark. Marvin. His name was Marvin. And I was like, who? And she was like, my husband. The first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first one. His name was Marvin, not Mark. I knew it wasn't Mark. I just couldn't remember his name. And so I was like, yo. This thing that is weighing on me, like, that feels like a hundred pounds, that feels like an acme weight sitting on my chest, that just, like, I can't make any decision in my life right now without thinking about this divorce and this, this divorce and this failed marriage and this separation and this estranged husband. Like, it was just, it was just the forefront thing in my mind. Like, my life was consumed by it. And I was like, you mean to tell me that eventually I'm going to forget this man's name? The the, the man I was married to? She was like, you're treating it like it's a whole book. It's a chapter. I say all that to say, I forgot the name of my bridal stylist. She did other people's weddings that I knew. She was actually cool. We kept in touch after the wedding. Like, she had good vision. Uh, Even though a lot of folks hated my dress and had no problem letting me know that on my wedding day. It's all coming back now. But I'd completely blocked that shit out. I was like, are you kidding me? And my dress ain't look like Portia's dress. I mean, I ain't have Portia's budget either. So like, you know, you do what you can with the budget that you have. But Selena, Vanglorious glorious brides, sis. You did that. You did that. Portia looked fucking amazing. You you did that, sis. Also, find the message in that story. if, If you were going through something and no one's dead or dying, it's a chapter. It's not the book. You know how happy it made me not to remember that woman's name? It was like my recognition that I was like, oh shit, like when you moved on, you moved the fuck on. Like you blocked everything out. It's amazing. It's amazing how the mind works. Also in good black news, I think this counts. We're going to talk about TJ right after we talk about this. I promise. I promise. We got to talk about Nia first. We got to talk about Nia Long. We talked last week about Nia, how she posted a picture on Thanksgiving of her new apartment. Apparently she moved back to L.A. She did a great article with The Hollywood Reporter. I feel like The Hollywood Reporter has been killing it. I talk about The Hollywood Reporter the way I used to be like, so I was watching CNN. I'm always like, so I was reading The Hollywood Reporter, and they're on it right now. Brandi Victorian, she used to be my editor at Essence. Remember when I wrote the Niecy and Jessica cover story? Brandy was my editor. But Brandy's also the author of this article on Nia Long. It talks about Nia Long being an it girl for the last 36 years. Facts. It talks about some 20 rap songs. Dating back to a tribe called Quest in 1993 who have name-checked Nia. And it also talks about 2023 being the year of new beginnings. Kind of. The Best Man, the final chapter, the TV series, is coming out on December 22nd. Which is kind of what the article is based around. But, you know, Nia's been in the news because her fiancé, it seems former fiancé, was fucking up. We don't need to rehash that. We talked about that in detail. You all know what I'm referring to. The Hollywood Reporter does note, quote, the actress is in the midst of moving back to Los Angeles from Boston into a new home. Hmm. They said when they tried to ask her directly about the status of her relationship, we're just going to call him Meduka because we don't know if he's the current fiance, the former fiance. Like, we don't know how to refer to him in that context. But the Hollywood Reporter did ask. They said Long would not discuss the status of her relationship nor comment on the conduct of. That prompted his disciplining by the Celtics. She did say this though. This is the quote that's been making the rounds. Nia said that she had to pull her son. Her youngest son is. I think I just read he was. He got Nia Long's whole face. He's 11. Her youngest son Kez is 11. She said when the story broke about Kez's father. He is still Kez's father. She said uh, when the news broke. of, Of Kez's father's shenanigans. She says, I went home to be with my son, and that was what was most important to me because he was not having an easy time. She she said she had to pull her son out of school. She says, quote, I think the most heartbreaking thing about all of this was seeing my son's face when the Boston Celtics organization decided to make a very private situation public. She continues, it was devastating, and it still is. He still has moments. He, referring to Kez, still has moments where it's not easy for him. She says of the Celtics, if you're in the business of protecting women, I'm sorry, no one from the Celtics organization has even called to see if I'm okay, to see if my children are okay. It's very disappointing. So that's the quote that I saw posted everywhere, and that's how I knew about this Hollywood Reporter article. And people had a very uh, interesting reaction to that quote and they were like why did you expect anyone to call you like people get cheated on every day b like why would you expect your she's like you're not even his wife you're just his fiance you're the mother of his kid why would you expect his job to call you and offer you any kind of condolences like it's just business it's not personal and I was like what the fuck is wrong with people and not just what the fuck is wrong with people but what the fuck is wrong with your circle of people that they treated you like shit when something happened to you And so now you think it's okay to have no compassion, to have no human connection with other people. Was anyone from the Celtics obligated to call Nia and say something to her? No, they don't have an obligation to do that. People are right. Like, it is business. But also, like, this is somebody that you knew. Kez's father was the coach. She had interactions with, you know, his superiors, his bosses, other people that worked for him, colleagues, things like that. Like, and no one... Said anything to her? Do they have to? No. Folks are right about that. Would it have been nice if they did? It would. It would. Dave Chappelle, who, you know, I have issues with sometimes. But Dave Chappelle, when he was upset with Netflix about airing the Chappelle show, which he wasn't making a dime off of because of a bad contract that he signed many, many years ago when he was broke. He was like, Netflix legally can do it because they're doing it. They can do it. But is it the right thing to do? There's a difference. Did they have to call her? No. Would it have been the right thing to do to call her? Yeah. We had to talk about TJ, TJ Holmes, and his co-host, Amy Robach, little blonde white lady. The Daily Mail ran an article on them. Was it yesterday, two days ago? A million and one people sent it to me. And I was like, why are y'all sending me, like, I don't care if TJ Holmes, who, by the way, is fine as shit. He has aged beautifully. He wanted them like Michael Ealy mofos. Like he's been fine all his life. I completely understand why Amy has risked it all to be with him. Now him for her? Let's pull up this Daily Mail article, which if you haven't seen, you need to go look at. Because you need to see the pictures and the video. I first saw it and I said, who did they piss off at the Daily Mail? I mean, I knew the Daily Mail existed. They didn't really land on my radar for their stakeouts. I'm sure Wendy Williams wasn't the first, but that's when it first registered to me. But Wendy must have pissed somebody off at the Daily Mail because they literally followed her then husband and his mistress around for a year taking pictures. They got a whole big ball of evidence. Like, I mean, just some earth shattering nuke bomb type shit. Then they ran the story and was like, yeah, we've been following him for a year. And here's the house that he lives in with his mistress that he bought with Wendy's money. And here are the cars that they drive that he bought with Wendy's money. And here's them going to the gym and running errands on Saturday. And here's his name on the mailbox. I haven't read that story since it came out, but I remember all those details. Like I remember reading that article and gasping like, (gasps) I was in shock. But this article from the Daily Mail seems to be very similar in nature. I asked, I said, who do these people piss off? Folks was like, nah, 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 look at the pictures. Cause me and my crew, we analyzed the pictures and the video. They were like, nah, 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 that's that's not Daily Mail stakeout. They were like, that's a private investigator. Look, look at the pictures. These two were in a cab. They zoomed in in the cab. They are in the cab in the back seat. They zoomed in and you can see their hands intertwined in the cab. What kind of camera is this? If they went and got one of them cameras I'm trying to get to shoot the lion's eyeballs, they using that on people. The private investigator is using the paparazzi lens. They got them in the restaurant, cuddled up, laughing, giggling together. They got them on vacation. They got video. The video, you can hear the photographer clicking the camera no less than 10 times. The private investigator. The level of detail makes me think it's a woman. I think the private investigator is a woman. They were all in their shit. Now, T.J. is married. Amy is married. Sort of. So this story broke a day ago, two days ago, right? It sounds all very scandalous. Like, T.J. Holmes is married. He's got a nine-year-old kid with his current wife. Amy is also married to an actor, Rob Shue, I think is his name. She's been married the same amount of time T.J. is. This is her second marriage as well. I think I've read that her kids babysit TJ's kid. The couple had been going out on double dates together. They were just a force of a fun, but not like swingers. And it's alleged that in March is when they hooked up. And I absolutely called over to some friends who worked for ABC and was like, T, did everybody know about this? And they were like, yeah, it was an open secret. Like, it's obvious. If you watch Good Morning America, if you watch them interact, you could see it. Plenty of people, when this story broke, were like, I knew it. I knew it. I could tell they was fucking... Here's the thing though here's the thing right your kid babysitting his kids y'all going out on double dates with your spouses i mean that's that's crazy that's fucked up period so again this story broke two days ago it sounds so scandalous on the surface and at one point it was they're separated now technically separated is still married i acknowledge that legally they're married socially they're separated i don't condone dating people while they're separated People who are separated are fucked up. Do not date them. They need extensive healing. And even if you are a therapist, you are not their therapist. If you are their therapist, you shouldn't be dating them. That said, it sounds like more of a scandal than it is. Most of these pictures from the Daily Mail of them in the back of the car or canoodling at a bar or or going upstate for a romantic getaway, they were separated. And now it does appear they started dating each other before separating. They separated from their spouses at about the same time and they moved into residences outside of the marital home. They don't live together. TJ has his own spot. Amy has her own spot. But they're not living with their spouses because they're separated. At one point, this was very scandalous. Currently, not really. I can't find but so much scandal for two people who are not living with their spouses who have literally moved out the house into different residences. They're not living in a marital home. Ah, I want to be scandalized. I like a good scandal sometimes. I don't think that this is it. And apparently ABC doesn't think this is it. I read on TMZ earlier today. I know TMZ ain't like, you know, news news. TMZ also pays for their news. That's how they get good intel. But TMZ was like, yeah, ABC was like, these are two grown people and everybody knew about them dating and they're separated. And apparently ratings are through the fucking roof. TJ and Amy were hosting earlier today. They do the third hour together, I think. I don't watch GMA. I don't have GMA over here. But apparently ABC is on some real, I'm going to stick beside them. So it was a fun scandal for a day. But then he started analyzing it and be like, yeah, well, you know, there's really not that much to it. I feel bad for... Their spouses? Like, that sucks. I hope none of this is new news to the spouses. I assume one of the spouses is the one that hired the private investigator. I've committed to the narrative that a private investigator was involved. Even their, even in their separation, I mean, you can assume when you're separated from someone, especially when you're living outside the house, that they're not sitting there being faithful. Because again, like, to what? But I hope that that wasn't how they found out that their spouses were dating each other after they'd been on double dates together and one set of kids is babysitting the other set of kids like that's that part is messy as fuck but it seems like that they cleaned up the mess back in august they left their spouses if this story had broken in july fireworks fireworks of crazy by december uh, grown people trying to i don't know figure out life i don't know i just have a different perspective about not so much cheating but what people do when they're separated or what people do when they're miserable in marriages. Because, you know, I've been miserable in a marriage. Like, I just I have a different understanding. Like, there's a way that you should do something. Yes. Like, you should be like, I am miserable. And I'm going to leave. And I'm going to wait for a year of separation. Because that's what's required in New York before you can actually file. But I'm going to wait for a year of separation in my own separate home. And I'm not going to date or be with anyone and blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, yes. Like, that's the unmessy way to do it. Is it realistic? Fuck no. I want to drag it. I do. In my heart of hearts, I want to give you a good and proper dragging. And I just, I can't. People make really bad decisions when they're unhappy. I want to tell y'all a story so fucking bad. It's not about me. But I said I moved on from that. So I think I'm just going to keep moving on. That's growth. Woo. All right, y'all. I'm about to chop this up. Try to get it in by deadline. That's not everything. We didn't talk about Wendy Williams. Actually, let's talk about it real quick. Ain't really much to say. So I'll just say, trifling as fuck. Do you know this mofo is running around complaining that he's broke because alimony from Wendy has stopped? You know, Wendy's account's been froze because they say that she's not in her proper state of mind. And so the bank took over her accounts. Also, apparently in Wendy's divorce agreement, it said that if Wendy wasn't working, then the payments... Would stop. Wendy ain't worked in over a year, so there's no payments coming in. So ain't no money coming in and ain't no money going out. So your boy, because I can't claim him, Wendy can't claim him, your boy is in the press talking about he's broke and can't pay his bills. His house is about to go into foreclosure because he's not getting alimony from Wendy. I'm like, nigga, how you cheat on this lady? And had a whole baby with somebody else. And then one alimony. That's bad enough. You got alimony after you did this trifling shit. But that comes with the terms of marriage. You know that your wife is in a bad position. You know that your wife has no money coming in. You have the absolute gall and audacity to get on Al Green's internet and complain you ain't getting enough money from your ex-wife to cover your bills for the new family you created while you were married. Nigga. Oh my God. I'm mad like I was married to this nigga. Audacity must be paying people to use it. This is more than just free. The audacity of this nigga. I gotta bring it down to a 10. I'm mad like this shit happened to me. I can't believe he's doing this shit. I can't believe he fixes his mouth to get on open internet and say this shit. I can't afford to feed my family because my ex wife ain't paying me alimony. Nigga, get a job. Get a fucking job. You didn't have one when you were with Wendy. You had a vanity title, and that's how you ended up with all this goddamn alimony. Now you got a whole woman and a young baby. She ain't balling. You can't leech off her. You're still trying to leech off your ex-wife to pay for your new woman and the outside baby you created on your wife? I don't have no money. My house is going into foreclosure. Nigga, a job. A job. All the fucking jobs out here talking about we can't find people to hire. People are hiring. UPS is always hiring. And they pay good wages. I know a bunch of dudes that work for UPS. They got good benefits and they making good hourly wage. And they do overtime. If you don't get your ass to brown this Christmas season and go out and deliver. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. No more dark liquor before I record. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.